for it. Well, I need to get preaching because I've been known to preach a long time. (laughs) And what I've done now wisely is say, okay, we'll take up the next half of the sermon next week. But we can't do that here. So we will need to finish it. Stories told of an evangelist down in Texas, and he loved hunting, so he, he, he bought two Irish, or not Irish, but setter pups for hunting, raised them, and they were just, uh, he just loved them, and he would keep them in his backyard. One day, there came down the alley behind his house a ferocious bulldog, small, puny, ferocious bulldog, snorting, growling. He came to the yard. He, he crawled under the fence of that yard into the yard where those two setters were. And the evangelist thought, I better take them and put them in the house. I'll, I'll put my dogs in the basement because they will just tear this bulldog up. He said, no, nah, I think I'm going to let that bulldog learn a lesson. And so they, he came in there and those two Irish setters just tore him up. And they scuffled and scuffled for a long time. Finally, the, the bulldog had had enough. He ran whimping and whining under the fence back down the alley where he came from. And he said, well, he learned his lesson. Next day, same time, same place, the bulldog's walking down the, the alley. He comes under, crawls under the fence. The setters are out there, and they go there, and they beat the stuffing out of that dog. And he whines when he had enough, crawls back under the fence, goes back home. Evangelist said he has really learned his lesson. The next day after that, he came back. There's that bulldog coming down there. He goes in there and does the same thing. The setters do the same thing. He goes out, goes home, licks his wounds. And the evangelist had to head off for some revival meetings that they had in those days. And so he took off, was gone for several weeks. He came back. And he was really wondering, what happened to that bulldog and my setters? His wife immediately said, Honey, you will not believe this. That bulldog came back the same time, same station, same place, crawled under that fence, and they went through it again, and he went home, and you know now, that bulldog comes down that same alley every day, snorting and puffing. The setters are out there. They hear him coming. They see him coming under the fence, and they tear off to our basement, whining and crying until I get, let him in. And that bulldog comes in that that yard and acts like he owns the yard. That reminds me of Winston Churchill. I think he might have been called a bulldog. Uh, He was to speak one year at the Herald School, a speech, October 29, 1941. He was there as a special speaker and he got up. And he said, never give in. Never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never give in. And he sat down. Well, they were expecting a half hour, 45 minute speech. That's all he said. But his life was an example of that great truth. Have you ever thought, what what happens, and I don't want any hands because you'd be under conviction here, but... What happens when your body gets tired? You may be short-tempered. I could probably ask my grandchildren, you know, what happens when your dad's tired? And they could probably give me a whole litany of things. You, you may do things. You may say things. You may say something you don't mean. 
We can be impatient. You hear people say often, I'm tired of being tired. I believe over time, this is a serious problem, I believe over time that believers get tired of being good and tired of doing the right thing. Have you ever gotten tired of doing, being good and doing the right thing? Uh, I've had people say to some of our members, and there were children of them, that they, they say, what's the use? I, I try to do all the right things and it still doesn't change. Nothing changes. And again, they may be doing the, wanting to do the right things for the wrong reasons. You recall in the first chapter of Job, Satan came and had a conversation with God, and you know he said, "Hey, here is Job. And he, I, you tell me that Job is really a, a a good man, but hey, you know he's only good because you bless him. What if you take away that blessing? He will curse you. Uh, he won't he won't continue to do good and the right thing. He's only doing it because of what he gets from you. Has it ever occurred that that's what we might do? That we might." be in church, that we might go to church, that we might want to do the right thing, do good things, and simply because of what we can get from God and out of God, I think that's the wrong reason, isn't it? For, for what we do and what God, we do for God. Turn with me, if you would, because I think it's not a new problem. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I believe this is a real problem, and I think it's a temptation for God's people to, to get tired of being good. And I hope you'll see it and understand it. And I want to give some reasons why that may happen. It's not exhaustive. But Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. Do not be deceived. You know the passage. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And then... He says in verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. You have probably heard it. I've heard it now for a number of years. We reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow. And we reap later than we sow. Uh, I live up in an area where there's a, I have a lot of farmers and fruit growers. They understand that. That's farming 101. And I think that's it's an incredible benefit for children to learn that principle of sowing and reaping. That you reap what you have sown. You reap more than you sow, which is great. And the hardest principle for me is uh, you reap later than you sow. I'm the kind of person that likes to go plant my tomato plant tomorrow and the next day pick my first tomato. I made it a practice on, on planting a garden here in Royal Oak to go down to the farmer's market. I bought my tomato plants with tomatoes already on it. I did not have the patience to plant a seed. I've never planted a tomato seed in my life. And uh, I plant nothing that didn't have a blossom and most of the time I started learning real fast. I want tomatoes already on it. I'm impatient for that. But that's part of sowing and reaping. We, we need to do that. And he says, we need to understand there's that temptation to lose heart. Again, notice verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. There is a tendency to lose heart in doing good. Get tired, if you will. Lose our courage to do the right thing. 
We ought to want to do the right thing. I think as Bob Jones Sr. once said, do right till the stars fall. Do right always, no matter what, no matter what. And the tendency is so often is to find someone who's not doing it, not doing what they're told, not doing what's right, not what's told in the Word of God, and use them as an excuse for yourself not doing it. We all can do that. I can look for preachers that are doing various things and say, well, they're doing it, I can do it. Uh, That's not a justification for whatever it is. Is it what God wants me to do? Is it what God wants me to do? We need to be careful that we don't relax in doing the right thing and doing good. And this is written to believers. Galatians was having a problem with that very issue. C.S. Lewis once said, How little people know who think that holiness or godliness is dull. The one who meets the real thing, it is irresistible when you see it and meet it. I want to give you three reasons, not simply because it's a sermon, because this is Sunday school. We're not preaching today. Three reasons, and they're just, there are many more, but a why people get tired of doing good. And I want you to see, we forget where our blessings come from. Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is one of the reasons we get tired of doing good. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. It says, Then it shall come to pass, or come about, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you great splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear the Lord your God and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. You shall not follow any other gods, any other of the gods of the peoples whom surround you. You get all of this handed to you as God has said He promised. The temptation is to forget that God has given it to you, all of it to you. That you seem, you, you, you sense and think that you got it because of your own doing and God has given it to you. That's an Old Testament way of describing grace. Anything God has ever given to me, it's because of grace. I did not earn it. I didn't deserve it. It's God's grace. And we have a temptation to forget it. We have that temptation to forget. He says, do not forget. Do not forget. You can write it down. You don't need to turn. I'll read it to you. But Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Very important. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author, perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Think about, fix your eyes on the right person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on him, so that when you go through the trials, as Jesus went through the trial for us, you'll not lose heart and grow weary. You'll not grow weary in doing the right thing. And again, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of believers who are being persecuted. 
and wondering, what are we doing wrong? Are we going to have this all the time? And they could easily grow weary. They need to remember. They need to keep their eyes on Jesus. Fix their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let those sins encumber their, their feet so they fall. Keep their eyes fixed on Jesus and not grow weary in doing the right thing. Not grow weary and lose heart. Another time, Paul said to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 13. <clears throat> and here is that picture where it's describing believers who are all messed up in their eschatology. And so they were thinking, hey, we might as well quit our jobs and just you know, sit on the mountains and wait for Jesus to come again. So they weren't working, but they still had to eat, didn't they? And Paul said, listen, if they do not work, they do not eat. He says here, verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And here he is saying, take your eyes off him. Don't mimic those who are doing what they're doing. Those who are, are looking for the Lord's return and sitting and doing nothing else. You keep busy. You keep doing good. Don't grow weary of doing the right thing. Don't use others for an excuse to not do the right thing. Forgetfulness. We often simply forget where our blessings come from. I think there's another issue, and back in Deuteronomy, if you'd run back there, Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's the issue of pride. I believe pride enters the picture for us, causing us to, to uh, get tired of doing good. And I think it's a problem I've seen in our age. We're in a day and age of entitlements. We think that we're entitled to the blessings of God. So we often take them for granted. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it has similar things to say that he said in chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God okay, by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten, are satisfied, and built good houses and live in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, silver and gold multiply, and all that you multiply, then your heart will become proud. Your heart will become proud and you will again do what he said in chapter 6. Forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then verse 17 18. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and my strength, my hand made me this wealth. Don't we often think that? Hey, I have what I have because I have done it. You realize and if you study people's lives. Many people have made a lot of money and some of those same people have lost a lot of money. Uh, God ha can take away our health and we have nothing. We, we, we can lose many things in this world. 18, verse 18, he says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He, it is he who has given you the power to make wealth. Now he's not, I think, emphasizing the fact that he's making us wealthy but He is making, giving us the ability to sustain ourselves. He is the one that does that. He is the one that provides the strength. And our pride can really get in the way. Paul said it in the New Testament, second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, what do you have that God hasn't given you? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever sat down and thought, what do I have that God has not given to me? Or that God cannot take away? He Nothing. The, the answer is nothing. Everything we have. I hope that I can say everything I have is because of God's grace. Everything I have. 
I, I have a talk more so with my wife, my li- myself and my wife that my wife is a gift of God's grace. I don't deserve her. I don't think she deserved me, for sure. But I didn't deserve her. I, I think, my God, the many people, women that were knocking my door down to, to want to be their husband. Not really. I, it was God's grace. And I don't want to ever forget that. It's a gift. She was a gift that God gave to me. We are, on that issue of pride, we have to really wrestle with the principle that God says in Romans 12, 3, don't evaluate yourself more highly than you ought to. That sometimes is the tendency. You know, when you apply for jobs, they, they like you to say, okay, give me all your strong points. I hate that kind of stuff, don't you? I don't want to blow my own horn. That's, that's hard and uh, it feels uncomfortable. I want to think of what Jesus said to the apostles and to us in John 15, verse 5. Without me, you can do nothing. You may think you can do something, but it will be nothing that matters in eternity. What are we doing today? And we need to ask ourselves that on a periodic basis. What are we doing today that's going to matter a hundred years from now? What are you thinking? Well, what I'm doing today is going to matter tomorrow or in a week from now. What's it going to matter in a hundred years? That's the real question, isn't it? What will it matter in 100 years from now? The story is told of a carpenter who was nailing shingles on the roof of a house. He lost his footing and started sliding down the roof. As he was sliding down, he began to pray, Lord, oh Lord, help me. Still, he kept sliding again. The man prayed, Lord, oh Lord, please help me. He kept sliding until he got to the edge and a nail sticking out of the edge of the roof caught his pants. After he came to a stop, he said, never mind, Lord. The nail's got a hold of me now. God didn't put the nail there for him. Didn't prevent him from falling off that roof. Forgetfulness. Pride. And then there's one other thing that was a big, biblical problem for any of us and in, in, uh, for ones in the Bible. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. Psalm of David, he says in verse 1, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. Instead of doing that, he says, verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Envy is something that will cause us to get tired of being good. Because we envy evildoers, wrongdoers. Those that are doing the wrong thing and seem to get by doing it. And we have a world in our country, we have a world of those kind of people, don't we? That are seeming to be doing the wrong thing. They're crooked as can be, uh, lying as can be, and they seem to get away with it. He says, don't be envious of wrongdoers. Don't fret. He says in verse 7, rest in the Lord, wait patiently, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Yeah, but they're getting away with it and they're, they're prospering by it. But then again, you go back to Galatians. Whatsoever man soweth, he will eventually reap. There's coming a day. You don't worry about that. That's not your job for causing them to reap. God will take care of that. What you do, though, is trust God. Verse 3, he says, what do you do? Trust in the Lord and do good. 
trust the Lord. Don't worry, don't fret, don't fuss about those who are doing the wrong thing and seemingly get away with, getting away with it. Trust God. Trust Him and do good. Don't use it as an excuse. They don't do good. I'm not going to do it any longer. You do the right thing no matter who else is not. You do the right thing. Colossians 3.23 and 24 reminds us, whatever you do, do your work heartily as, a, as for the Lord rather than for men. Know that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. You, you serve not to be seen of men. That's the temptation, isn't it? To, to envy and then also to get what they get and to do it when they're watching and when they see it. You may have seen this sign appeared in a, a workplace once. There is no limit to the good that a man can do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Many times we like to do things, but we sure want to make sure everybody knows we did it. I was telling Brother Richards that our church up north, we got a, we built a new building. We had to get a bank loan, but also we applied and got a 400000 dollar grant and I would like to say it was because of my enormous ability at filling out writing a grant letter and requesting a grant I've never done one in my life I did a one page one to see if they were interested and I've told people over and over it is God's grace that we got that uh, the people's jaws dropped when I told them that we were given the grant for $400,000 to help uh, finish and do our building. They they couldn't believe it. Some of them were behind my back saying, the pastor went out and got a $400,000 loan in addition to the one we already have. And uh, that's always an issue. I said, I explained to him from the pulpit one day, Webster says a grant is a gift. It's not a loan. But that was because of God's grace. I didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. And I don't take any credit for it at all. That was God doing it. I don't want the credit for that. God did it. He was the one. Don't get tired of being good. Do it the whole life until you die and go to heaven, I trust. You don't do good to get to heaven. You don't do good to get saved, that's for sure. But the scripture sure emphasizes the fact that as believers, and that's what Paul was writing to in Galatians, you need to do the right thing. You need to do the good thing. David was talking to believers. You need to do the right thing and not envy the wicked individuals. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You do that which is going to ultimately honor God. came across a poem I really enjoyed. I have used it one time, not in a sermon, but uh, just reading it to my congregation. It's called The Road of Life. It says, at first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I died. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that Christ was in the back pedaling, helping me pedal. I didn't know just when it was, but he suggested we change places. And But life has not been the same since. 
I didn't know, or when I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts. And through rocky places at breakneck speeds, it was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried, was anxious, and was asked, and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started learning to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say I'm scared, he would lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, joy. He gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. And he said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to people who we met. I found that in giving I received. And still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows secrets, bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend when it takes sharp corners. He knows how to jump and clear high rocks. He knows how to fly to shorten scary passages. And I am learning to shut up and pedal. In the strangest places, I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face. And my delightful constant companion, Jesus Christ, is there. And when I'm sure I can do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, may we never, no matter how long you may allow us to be here, ever get tired of doing the right thing, of honoring you with our lives and seeking to serve you until you call us home. Father, we thank you for these dear people and their faithfulness over the years. It is a joy to be able to see, to be here, participate, and, and see that this church is going on in a strong and has a strong pulpit and godly people here. And we just pray that your blessing may continue to be on them until our Savior comes again. And we thank you now for it in Jesus' name. Amen.